Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Matthew chapter 26. As uh, you guys probably know, today is often referred to as Maundy Thursday. How many of you knew that? So nobody, nobody knew that. Well, now you do. Maundy, uh, supposedly, I don't know the origin of that word, but it, it really is in reference to that. That Thursday, it's the night before Jesus died, where he girded himself with a towel and he washed the disciples' feet. And you can read about that in John chapter 13. And one of these days, we should probably have a foot washing ceremony. That would be cool, man. You know, it's just a, a, the epitome of a servant. In those days, uh, it was the lowest slave that was in the house. He would come in after these dirty, dusty roads walking on him, and you get all the toe jam and all that kind of stuff. And, and they would just, they would go and they would wash your feet. And Jesus did that. Um, that last Thursday. And so, you know, we won't have time to go over everything that went over, uh, went down that, that night. I will say that this week is called Holy Week or sometimes referred to as Passion Week. Really, every week is holy, but this one is special because it's the last week that Jesus had on earth prior to the cross. If you remember, Sunday was Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Monday, he went back, entered Jerusalem again, and he cleansed the temple Tuesday of that last week was a real busy day, uh, tons of things going on, really dealing with the religious leaders and trying to, you know, answer their questions and set them straight and silence them. It was a real battle that Tuesday. And then he went back, and that Tuesday, one of the most beautiful things in the whole Bible, and I encourage you, if you can, you read it, when, when Mary of Bethany washed his feet with her hair, if you remember, she anointed him with oil and uh, she prepared him for his burial. It was like she was the only one that was in tune with the fact that he was about to die. And what she did was an amazing act of worship. So that was that Tuesday. And then Wednesday, the Bible doesn't say anything. It's completely silent. Uh, but then Thursday, that's the day that we have now, this Monday, Thursday, we have Jesus uh, preparing for the Passover. He partakes of the Passover, washes their feet. He starts challenging them regarding, you know, Judas who would betray him. And then Judas does leave. And then he challenges them to be careful not to uh, desert him. Jesus then institutes communion. And when you read John chapter 14, it's his last words, uh, final discourse in the upper room. And then John chapter 15 and 16, he's walking to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's sharing, he's just sharing his heart. You know, these are the last words that he would share with them, important words about love, about the Holy Spirit, uh, things that they would need to know about ministry. Um, I, I pray that you have the opportunity to go with us to Israel. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to go next year in April, so, you know, start recycling so you can go to Israel with us. It'll, it's awesome. You'll be able to see the path that Jesus walked, and it's just beautiful. And so, you know, that was the Lord sharing in John 15 about abiding in the vine and just so many beautiful things about what we would need to know uh, prior to the cross. You know, in John 17, we have his intercessory prayer, his high priestly prayer. It was right there near Gethsemane. And then we come to the last two things that night before he was arrested. 
And you guys know that when he was arrested, he then had three trials, mockery of trials with the Jews, and then Friday morning it was three trials with the Gentiles. So this is what happens between the trials and, uh, and these things that we're talking about, in which he goes to the garden, and the agony in the garden, and so we're going to see that he prayed, and then number two, that he was betrayed. And so what it does is it kind of sets our heart, you know, ready for tomorrow. When we come for Good Friday, we're going to be able to see a little bit about what led up to that. And in all reality, the, the main thing is just the amazing love that God has for us. You know, if you think about it, um, God didn't need us. Prior to him making the world, he was with the Father. There was the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, perfect, perfectly content. And then they, they made the angels, and again, everything's perfect. Uh, the fall of Satan, that definitely was something that hurt God's heart, but still, he didn't need us. But eventually, God made us. He knew we would stray. And he set in motion his whole plan of salvation in which he would love people. He would love creatures who would change and love him back. We're the only ones like that. The angels aren't like that. Only you and I. Where we would understand the love of God and the love of God would reach our hearts and then change us to where we would love him in return. And that's what this whole thing is all about. You know, Jesus is heading to the garden, and as he gets there, notice what we read in Matthew 26, in verse 36. It says, And then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that would be James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, notice, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. And so he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. And we'll stop there. And really, uh, what we see is that he, he prayed here. And in looking at the text, we see, first of all, I, I would ask that you would notice 
his distress. You kind of got to notice that. The Greek word translated distress here, it means to be in anguish or even depressed. That word right there is one of the strongest Greek words out of three in the New Testament for depression. Now you read the, the Bible and you realize that this is what God went through for us. He didn't need us. He didn't need to, but he chose to because of his love. And he knew that one day eventually it would take him to this valley of anguish and distress and depression to such an extent that he would, he would want to die. That's how, how much it hurt. We read in Isaiah 53 and verse 3 that he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knew it well. Isaiah 53 verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know, sometimes we go through things. I know the loss of a loved one or the loss of a, of a dream or the, the way that perhaps you were mistreated by a loved one or you, you didn't have a dad or a mom or just so many things that happen in life. Sometimes you can't even put your finger on it. You know, you're in this relationship or this marriage or this situation and for whatever reason, you're just, you're down. You know, we talk to people all the time and it just breaks my heart. Even so many young people who just don't want to live. You know, so many of them are taking their life. The, the, the number one uh, killer for young people is, uh, is car accidents. Number two is suicide. And so, so many in that situation, um, maybe even some here tonight, you're going through hard times. You don't want to carry on. You just... You have a hard time getting up out of bed. There's no motivation. This is what I want to share with you, that God knows exactly how you feel because he's been there. This is where Jesus was on that Thursday. He was distressed. He was, he was depressed. And it wasn't simply sorrowful. We read here in verse 38 that he was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And so... You know, what do you do when you're there? What do you do when you're in that situation? You know, what Jesus did is, is he prayed. You know, he prayed, and, and he prayed uh, with passion. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. You know, I always, uh, when, I, when I think of these things, you know, I think of how God wants to work in our life and believe it or not, you know, we're, we're going through life, and I always tell people, you've got a mission, something that God wants you to do, something he made you for. You know, I can get a toothbrush, I can go out there and, you know, clean the parking lot, but that's not what it was made for. You know, and some people, they, they're made for something, but they're not functioning in that. You know, to find out what you're made for, but sometimes, you know, you go through these things and we get stuck, we get stuck in life and we get like, you know, depressed, discouraged, defeated. We're down and out. What do you do there? I'll tell you what, this is what you do. You pray. You know, Lord, help me. You know, Peter, when he's thinking, that's all he said, help. God picked him up. God put him in the boat. When I got saved, when I was addicted to all the things that I was addicted to at the age of 23 years old, I wasn't even trying in life because I didn't think I had a chance. But I prayed, Jesus, come into my life. 
And when he came into my life, he heard that cry. God will hear that cry from anyone. And then when you become a Christian, he loves to hear you pray. And so, you know, Jesus is our example. This is exactly what he did. What do you do when you're in that situation? Talk to God. You know, lately, I don't know why you guys, I've just been thinking when I pray, God, you're here. You know, even though we can't see him with these eyes, we see him with these eyes. The Bible says Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. God is here. I think of that when I pray. And then I also, I think of what the Bible says, how I am there. Did you know that when you pray, you're in God's throne room? The Bible says we can come boldly into his throne room. Why? Because I'm covered with the blood of Jesus. I'm forgiven. And so, you know, this is what we do. Jesus prayed. Another thing that he did, though, it's interesting, is he asked others to pray with him. So if you're struggling I want to encourage you, pray. He loves you. Don't let the devil lie to you and to tell you that, you know, God won't hear you because you're not like this perfect person. You know, join the club. None of us are. So you go and you pray. But another thing is you have others pray with you. Notice again that that's what Jesus did. It says in verse 37 that he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Notice he says, Stay here and watch with me. He says, Watch with me. You know, and what's the Lord saying is that even, even he needed that prayer support. You know, I encourage you, if you're struggling, you're going through things, do the same thing Jesus did. Ask for Prayer from those who are around you. You know, this was a difficult time for him, the distress that he went through. And so he prayed. He asked others to be with him while he prayed, to pray with him through these things. And then um, in Luke twenty-two forty-four, as he continued to pray, and as he's going through all these things, the Bible says, and being in agony, he prayed even more earnestly, and then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And so think about that. And that's what he was going through. Uh, I'll tell you guys a story that I'm ashamed of. Okay, I'm ashamed of this story, but I'm going to tell you anyways because you're my friends. And you won't hold it against me, ma'am. You'll never bring it up. I know that. <laughs> but I remember uh, a while back when I was diagnosed with high blood pressure, um, I went to the doctors and he said, you know, you're, you're, you got high blood pressure. And I just remember walking out of the doctor's room or office, you know, and just going in my car and just starting to cry. I thought, I'm going to die. <laughs> I just thought, I'm going to die. Like, I was thinking like I had two weeks of life left, you know. <laughs> and I just thought I was going to die. And, um, you know, I, I eventually learned that I might have a few weeks left. We'll see. But, <laughs> you know, there's just something about um, even that. I know that we're going to talk. This is, Jesus was going through a lot more than just that. But there's just something about like, the thought that you're about to die. I mean, he's going to die the very next day. There's just something about that, that that hits home, you know, that you, you struggle with. And the way he was going to die, 
You know, that's where he was. And so as he's praying, the Bible says that his prayer became so earnest that the blood, it soared into his sweat capillaries. It's a, it's a medical term called hematidrosis, in which uh, because of the stress and because of the anxiety and because of the, the passion of his prayer, that, you know, the, the blood had seeped into his, his capillaries. I, I was going to show you guys pictures. There's, there's, there's a, this is actually a pretty common phenomenon, but I didn't want to gross you guys out. <laughs> But it really happened. And there is God, distressed, discouraged, asking for prayer from Peter, James, and John with me. There's God, and it's beginning. It's beginning as his blood becomes, you know, these drops out of his whole body. You know, when you look at the whole situation of hematidrosis, an interesting uh, phenomenon. And, you know, Dr. Zugibi, he's a, an individual medical examiner, Rockland County, New York. He said the severe mental anxiety, it activates this uh, nervous system, and it invokes what's called the stress fight or flight. Now, I thought that was interesting. You know, this uh, fight or flight, what's that all about? I'll bet you almost anything that there was the devil saying, run away, run away. You know, the devil, remember, he had, he had tempted Jesus and he had said, all you got to do is worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world because they're given to me in a temporary basis. And, you know, you don't need to go to the cross. Here's a shortcut. And so here he is going through hematidrosis it's this, it, it triggers this section of our nervous system. They, they call it the fight or flight. And so there's no doubt the devil is just screaming, run away, run away. But Jesus is there and he's going through this whole thing for us and he's fighting. He's fighting for us. And so the effect on the body is that of severe weakness and dehydration due to the loss of both blood and, and water, blood and sweat. And so he's, you got to know, going into the cross tomorrow, you already got to know he's lost blood. He's dehydrated. I remember going to Cambodia. What happened to me when I got dehydrated? I was, you know, they had to take me up to the room and I thought I was going to die. I mean, dehydration can be pretty bad. This is what our Savior is already going through. And not only that, another effect of hematidrosis is that, that the skin becomes extremely tender and fragile so that any pressure or damage to the skin is a hundred times more painful than ordinarily it would be. So just knowing what he's going through, we see his distress but then we see his request. Look at verse 39, if you would, again. It says, And then he went a little farther and fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so, this is interesting. I don't know if you guys ever like think this one through, but... He's basically saying, uh, I don't want to drink the cup. My request, Father, is not to drink the cup. Why not? 
You know, and there are a lot of theories. Uh, some say he, in his humanity, was getting weak, losing his resolve. He was afraid of the pain. Some asked, did he change his mind? And of course, we know the answer to all of these is no. But, but why did he pray that the cup would pass? You know, Jesus knew he was going to drink the cup. He had instituted communion. He had just done that. And he had this conversation way back with James and John in Matthew 20. In verse 22, it said, Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? I mean, he knew he was going to drink the cup, so why did he pray this prayer? If there's any other way, let this cup pass. And some say, well, maybe he wanted the cup to you know, pass and he prayed this prayer so that everyone would know there is no other way. If there was another way to go to heaven, then the son would not have had to drink that cup. If there was any other way to go to heaven, then the father would not have killed his son. I mean, if you could just be a good person, Jesus could have come down and said, be a good person and go back up. But he had to die. That's a possibility. But, but in looking at all these things, prayerfully, spiritually, I don't think it was just a show for you and me to see that there was no other way. Um, when the, when the son is asking for the cup to pass, there is something profound. There is something indescribably deep that is going on between him and his father. You know, and, and so here, was it the pain that he would have? Is that why? Was it the sin that he would bear? Think about that. The one who knew no sin became sin for us. Um, that might be some of it, but I think there's much more. And let me just share this with you guys, okay? Because I, I was praying over this, and I was talking to the Lord, and uh, I believe God kind of showed me something. It's, it says that pain was the start of it, sin was a part of it, but separation from his father was the heart of it. That was the real reason he asked that the cup would pass, if possible, Father. You know, yeah, the pain would be unbearable in one sense, and yes, the sin can't even begin to imagine how darkness fell on light on the cross, but the fact that he had never been separated from his Father, never, in all eternity, I don't know if you can relate to that or not, but when I was thinking this one through, I was like, wow, Lord, this is amazing. You know, well, on the cross, if you remember, Jesus quoted Psalm 22, verse 1. He said in the Aramaic language, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was when the sin was on him and the Father turned his back for the first time ever. That was the pit that Jesus did not want to pass through. You know, when you look at the Lord, 100% God, and at the same time, 100% man, and, you know, being a man, while on earth he emptied himself of his divine privileges, you know, he was sorrowful and deeply distressed that he was about to drink a cup that would take his father away from him. That's the key. You know, the very thought made him sorrowful even to death, made him sweat great drops of blood, made him ask his father to make sure if there was any other way. And what we find is that he had never been apart from his father in all eternity. 
And so he prayed. But he went through that. And the father, I'm sure, was feeling the same thing. Son, we have to go through this for them. For that guy and that guy and that girl and that daughter and that, those people. We must go through this for them. You see? And, and we see it was not to drink the cup. He prayed it three times. But he also prayed not my will be done, huh? Isn't that what we read right here? He said, oh, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Well, Jesus was on earth. You know, it's a mystery exactly, you know, how he, he was. We know he never lost his deity, but he did empty himself of his divine resources. And so there's things that are a mystery to us. And so he prayed for this cup to pass no cup, Lord, let this cup pass, but not, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And I just, uh, I just pray that you would see the beauty of that. You know, I mean, it was always his heart, wasn't it? You know, when you read the Bible, for example, John 5.30, Jesus said, I, I can do nothing on my own initiative, just as I hear I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will. <coughs> but the will of the one who sent me. And if that was his motto, it should be ours. End of the day, that's all that matters. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done, right? He said the same thing in John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so there was a... Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I, when I read stuff like that, man, it makes life simple. What do you, what do you want to do in life? Oh, I want to be a basketball player. That's cool. I pray that you would, man, and you give me front row tickets and stuff like that, you know, and, or whatever it is you want to do in life. That's cool. But let me ask you a question. What does God want you to do? Have you checked in with the one who made you, who knows you, who knows what will satisfy you? Even Jesus, who was God in the flesh, son of God, second person of the Trinity, said, not my will, but thy will be done. So simple, so pure, so powerful. This is how he lived his life, and this is how he died his death. And we are called to do the same. If you remember, he taught us how to pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth, even as it is in heaven. And let me tell you something, in heaven, they do his will. <laughs> That's how we should live our life. It makes life so simple. That's the way he prayed and that's what, he did in order to save us. It was so important to him. Jesus said in, J in John chapter 4, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. You know, one of the things that I'm asking, I'm going to ask you guys for a prayer request right now. Pray for me because I love food. You got to pray for me, man. I just, 
I know pizza, cheeseburgers, you know, potato chips. How many of you here like salty stuff? Okay, and the rest of you like sweet stuff? Is that the way it usually works? <laughs> oh, both, okay. <laughs> you know, but my food is, is to do the will of him who sent me. My food, what is that? That's what keeps me alive. That's my sustenance. That's my passion. That's what Jesus is saying. And that's how he lived. You know, when you look at all this that he went through and the suffering that he experienced, he asked his friends to pray with him. They didn't. What were his friends doing? Sleeping. Have any of you been there before? You're like, Lord, I love you so much. <laughs> you know, don't pray right before you go to bed. And, and you know what? Probably not a good idea to pray lying down either, okay? <laughs> but um, we all go through that. So, you know, but here's the Lord. He asked his friends to pray. They didn't. And so he prayed and prayed and he prayed passionately. He asked his father to take up the way. The father answered his prayer by saying no. Even though I'm sure he was in the very same place his son was. How many of you here have sons? You know what I'm talking about. He gave his son for wicked, wretched people like us. You know, they had committed themselves, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, to do a work to love a people before time began. And so this whole thing was set in motion and the cross was the only way. And so in looking at Christ that night, the pain was much deeper than rods and whips and nails, however. We're going to see that not only uh, that he prayed, but then that he was betrayed. And we read in verse 46, where these guys are, are still sleeping, he says, okay, get up, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, they came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, saying, whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. But Jesus said to him, Friend, why have you come? Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to him, Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as a, against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. And that's kind of what happened that night. I'll never forget being in the Garden of Gethsemane. That changed my life. When I went to Israel, uh, it was pretty amazing the different places that we went to, and they were all very special, you know, the Sea of Galilee, uh, where Jesus walked, and uh, the different places where they had the little fire and 
Jesus restored Peter and they had fish tacos and, you know, it was all beautiful. But out of all the places that I went to, the Garden of Gethsemane, I was just absolutely overwhelmed in that place, so much so that I didn't want to leave. And they told me, Manny, we got to go. But that the Garden of Gethsemane was where, in one sense, you know, the battle was won. He's going through this whole thing, fight or flight. What are you going to do? What decision? I don't want to do this, Lord. But, but at the end of the day, he made that decision to die for us. And that changed my life. Because here I am, and you know, I go through things, and, and for me, uh, unfortunately, you know, struggling with the things that I do, so foolish. I mean, we struggle with pride, and how, what do we have to be prideful of? I mean, when here's God in this place choosing to die for us, the humiliating death that he would suffer. So when I was there, that, that it, just, it just changed me. But you know, when you see that that's where he prayed and then that, and that's where he was betrayed, I mean, it amplifies it. You know, when you see, first of all, we notice who it was. There was a great multitude with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. They were, they were temple guards, basically. Um, you read it in John 18.3, Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, they came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Um, you know, that's who came. You know, Jesus says, that he was about to be betray, betrayed into the hands of sinners. We read in, in verse 45 of this same chapter. So that's who's there. But, but in, in one, one sense, they were like, that none of them were there. None of them. There was only one other than Jesus that was there, I think, in one sense, and that was Judas. Judas. He was one, we read right here, he was one of the 12. One of the 12. Think about it. All the people in all the world, the hundreds that were following him, the thousands that were following him, one night Jesus went and he started praying and he prayed all night long. The next day he woke up and he chose, out of all those people, he chose 12. 12 men who were formerly disciples and then they would become apostles. And he would, 12 in the Bible is that number of government that he would give to them the mission of, uh, of the love of God preached to the, to the world. He was one of the 12. Think about that. You know, he was there at the dinner. We read at the Last Supper. He was at the place of honor. Look what it says right here in, in 26 and verse 50. That, that Jesus calls him friend. I mean, you're, you're an apostle. You're one of the 12. You're my friend. The Greek word right here, it speaks of a comrade, a partner. It's, uh, it's a nice address, literally saying, my good friend. But the apostle and friend had become a betrayer. 
And we read that here in 26, verse 46 and 48, and we'll read it later in chapter 27, verse 3. See, we notice who, and it's even worse when we notice how he did it. He did it with a kiss. He did it with a kiss. You know, in the Greek language, it's a long kiss. It's as if he went up to the Lord and, and you know, and we, thank God guys don't kick, kiss guys here. <laughs> I'm kind of happy about that. In the, in the Middle East, they do, so get ready. But, you know, um, it, you know, for us, it'd be like, hey, bro, how you doing? Big old hug. Oh, man, it's so good to see you. And you're like kind of shaking him back and forth. And, man, I love you, bro. I love you, Lord. Do you? How many Judases are in the church? And you kiss him. Well, what do you mean you, you kiss him? Well, you say all the right words. But what's going on in our hearts? See, Judas here, he comes with this kiss. And it's interesting, the Greek word translated kiss right here. It's usually translated love. It's the Greek word uh, phileo. And this long kiss was supposed to be a sign of love, but it wasn't. It wasn't even care. It was actually corruption. This is, it wasn't a kiss. They say it was a hiss. That was Judas. You know, it's one thing to, you're going to die, and it's one thing, you know, you're going to go in that direction. But it kind of changes everything when your friend that you poured into, that you loved, that you reached out to, when they betray you. You know, there's allusion to this in Psalm 55, verse 12 through 14. I encourage you to read that later. There's actually a direct prophecy in Psalm 41, in verse 9, it says, even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared meals with me, has turned against me. So basically, what are we doing here, you guys? I'm telling you this, man. It's kind of like we're just taking a rake and we're just scratching the surface. You know, I think that if you want to, you can go home and read your Bible and you can get a shovel, shovel and you can start digging in deeper. But this is what our Lord was going through. Why? One reason. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how many thousands of times you've failed, he, God, loves you. They say that love makes the world go round. Because our, our earth is spinning. You guys know that, right? It's because he loves us. And what God wants to do is he wants to reach us with that love. And we see it based on the extent of, the, of what he would do. You know, I was thinking about this, and we're getting ready to wrap it up. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> You know, um, I was thinking about how love works. Now, in all reality, love only works 
if someone is unkind or mean to you. Because if someone is, they're nice to you and everything in one sense, um, and you love them back, ah, that's easy. That's not, even Jesus said, said even the pagans do that. But when someone is kind of mean to you, or, or whatever, they diss you, they dismiss, they dismiss you, and you love them, now you kind of have an opportunity to display genuine love. You see, and that's what God did with us, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his one-of-a-kind, unique love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you're going through things and you're struggling and you're depressed. One of the things a lot of people struggle with is fear. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of anything. You don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of anything. Why? Because perfect love, it casts out fear. And I tell you what, God loves you in a perfect way. Look at what he, he does. And so we can go forward and we can run through the fields of forgiveness because our God loves us and that love will never change. Never. And he will find you and he will love you and one day we'll be home and it's going to be amazing. How did this happen? It happened with a kiss but it also happened with his meekness, and that's power under control. You know, he could have called a whole bunch of angels, but he didn't, right? I mean, he commands angels, created angels. You know, meekness is not weakness. It's power under control. That's God in the garden. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I, I lay it down. Peter swung the sword. Thank God he wasn't good at it. <laughs> he cuts off Malchus' ear. Jesus just puts it back on, right? I mean, it was him. You know, if you read John's account, they said, who, Jesus said, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. You know what? Jesus said, I am. And then if you remember, they all fell. Because of what he said, it just knocked them to the ground. I mean, it wasn't them taking his life. It was him laying it down. How did it happen? It happened with a kiss. It happened with meekness. And then the last thing is it happened with loneliness. Look at verse 56 again. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Yeah, some would follow at a distance. But, you know, those aren't really the friends that you want to have. Yeah, I'm keeping my distance, but I like you. <laughs> you know, um, Zechariah 13.7, it says, Strike the shepherd and scatter the sheep. He was forsaken by all of them. He would even be forsaken by his father. Why? The Bible says, it makes it so clear in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. He was forsaken so that we would never be. That's the blessing of what happens to a life that has surrendered their heart to Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you haven't done that, 
Maybe you kissed him. That's not good enough. You got to come all in. I pray.